Hello and welcome to the Busyness Podcast. My name is Emily Austin. I'm the founder and CEO of a London-based PR agency called Emerge. I'm passionate about launching and scaling small businesses and have been fortunate enough in my 13-year career to work with some of the most exciting, category-defining brands in the world. I started my business when I was 22 years old, fresh out of university. Since that time, the world has got louder. Our expectations have become greater and our lives have become busier. Fobbing friends off with the stock answer we've all become accustomed to, I'm so busy, is an attempt to compel, conflate and convince. But when did being too busy become a mark of status? Why is the goal to never have any free time? And just what the fuck is everyone doing? Are we setting unrealistic expectations for future entrepreneurs and business owners by encouraging them that a maniacal approach to diarising is the standard? This podcast aims to give you a realistic, detailed insight into the honest stories, the failures, the triumphs, the intricacies, the mistakes, the comebacks, the fuck-ups from those set to make their mark, the leaders, movers and shakers, trailblazers and game changers. We cover imposter syndrome, hiring and firing, call-out culture, anxiety, global growth, daily routines and knowing when to quit, choosing the best in the busyness to help you cut through the noise and optimise your success. Daniel Price founded My First Years with close friend Johnny Sitton in 2011 after struggling to find a meaningful gift for a friend's newborn baby. The business is now worth well over £20 million. We chatted about winging it, solving obvious problems, important hires, how university helped shape the business idea and how to navigate running a business with your best friend. Despite being the number one personalised children's gift brand and loved by celebrities, After overcoming the challenges of COVID, the brand faced a devastating setback, which Daniel talks about candidly in the podcast. After four months of being unable to take orders, My First Years is back in business with a new look, new products, and a fantastic attitude. I hope you enjoy listening to this inspirational story. So yeah, I guess to kick off, um, can you start by telling me what My First Years is and a little bit more about what your brand mission is? So yes, yeah, so My First Years is a um, personalised children's gifting brand. Our kind of mission um, is to be there for all of the family across as many milestones uh, as we can be in their lives. And we started off with newborn. So right at the beginning of the milestones. Yeah, exactly, exactly, and it's all um, all all, of our, all the products are personalised, so that customer can add that like extra touch, extra personalised touch, and build that bond with that baby, I guess, from the beginning. What were you doing before you founded the business? Um, so that was two thousand and eleven. What what was before that, and then how did the idea come about? So I was I was in Leeds um, for a few years at university. I was running nightclub events. So I ended up running three or four weekly events uh, in Leeds and then Manchester and then just had an idea based on, I was was buying into Nike ID, uh, personalized trainers at the time, putting my initials on them and um, a friend of mine, Johnny, who I was at school with since we were four years old, um, 
his his brother had a baby and we had a gift to buy basically and we both discussed that there wasn't anything out there that we deemed good enough or different enough so it just it just came to me then and I said we've got to start this business but that's that's really interesting to me right because that's you very much stumbling upon something that wasn't easy for you to find or available which in many ways is one of the reasons people start businesses because they're like how did this not exist or this inconvenienced me or I want to be solution oriented in something that's been irritating what what is the what was the thought process between being like I've acknowledged this is something that doesn't necessarily exist and then being like I think this is a viable business that we should actually apply time to and try and create uh it's a good question because I think I was always thinking about starting a business before thinking about something being frustrating and problem I wanted to solve. I think it all happened very quickly. So Johnny and I were at also at university together. We were studying business, uh, business studies and we were buying and selling jewelry to students and clothes. And I felt like we were always going to do something. Um, and then as soon as this problem arose, it was straight away into this can be a really cool business. And I think, what we thought is that personalization could be huge in five, 10 years and we just needed to get on with it. That was like all came into my head at once, I guess. Yeah. It's a really interesting point because like 10 years ago, personalization wasn't so much a thing. Now there's, you know, obviously you guys, but multiple other um, businesses that cater to whether it's phone cases or luggage or, you know, like t-shirt creation. There's, there's, sort of every available opportunity you can now even put your initials on like a case for your iphone charger that plugs into the wall but 10 years ago that wasn't really a thing so was it literally just that you observed these trends by being out and about in leads talking to people looking at what other brands are doing and sort of thought hang on a minute this seems like it seems like there's something interesting happening here honestly no it sounds better than what it was. Um, what, how it actually happened was I bought a couple of pairs of shoot trainers with my initials on. Um, very quickly, we had this gift to buy. And I actually, I think I might have typed in personalized baby shoes, realized that Nike weren't doing it. Um, and that when you ordered a pair of personalized shoes with, with them, it took six to eight weeks to arrive. So I then started doing research from there, thinking actually, why aren't they doing it? Is it? Is it impossible? And it was pretty difficult, which is what we next found out. But that's how the, the idea came about. Did you have to convince Johnny on it? Or was he like, we're both doing business studies. This seems interesting. Let's have a crack at it. Yeah, I think I had a little bit of convincing to do because we were previously discussing frozen baby food, ready meals or whatever, something like that, um, which didn't go to plan. So this took a bit of convincing, but... I think the main thing is that we both wanted to get to the same place in the future. And um, we had big goals, big ambitions. So less convincing there. And he's Johnny's. So how we work is I come, I'm normally thinking of the idea and Johnny works out how the hell we're going to implement it. So I think once he also researched a bit more, uh, he was more on board. And what was that research process? How did you prove the market? Because I think it's, I find this so fascinating because lots of people talk about businesses being a complete passion project and something they absolutely loved. You hear it particularly with jewellery brands, fashion designers. It's born of a real specific 
talent that's then manifested in the business. What you're saying and what quite a few of the entrepreneurs I've chatted to are saying is, I wanted to run a business. I wanted to be successful. This was an opportunity that presented itself, which basically showed itself to be something that would enable me to achieve that. And so that's why I pursued it, which I think is a really interesting way around of um, applying yourself, you know, for the output of being successful. But you were presumably didn't have a baby at the time based on what I know about you and your family now probably lots of your friends didn't if they were they were some of the first few it's not necessarily you know nightclubs I mean actually nightclubs probably are a good breeding ground for making kids but it wasn't necessarily a natural um, space for you to do that and it wasn't really reflective of where you were at personally in your life so how did you start to go and actually prove to Johnny or to yourself, whether this was going to be a viable business. Yeah, it's uh, well, it's, it's a really strange um, thing to go into next from nightclubs. I think um, so. We, I think the main thing is we had we had some motivators. Both had teachers that told us we wouldn't get anywhere, or we weren't. We both weren't like really academic. Um, so we were. We had so much hunger inside of us, I guess, and the the research was does anyone is anyone else doing it and actually at the time we remember people from the beginning saying oh yeah a friend of mine used to have an embroidery business where they embroidered certain things onto products and we needed to get away from that straight away because we needed to we wanted to become a brand and and to be bigger than that so i would use that as a real drive to say that's no that's we're not like your friend we're <laughs> we're trying to build something different um and from Johnny's perspective, it was, is this possible? His family, I think, a bit from an engineering background and I think he's got that mindset as well. So it was very much, is it, is it possible? Can we personalize a ready-made baby shoe? So I think, so we got in, we got in our cars, went to Nottingham for about a week. We were driving back and forth and that was where a lot of the embroidery machines were being sold. And we, we managed to come across someone who said that he thinks he could re-engineer a frame of uh, of the machine to fit into a tiny baby shoe. That's what allowed us to get going. And from that moment, we were both we were both really struggling to explain to people what we were trying to do. But from that moment, it just clicked and we realized, like, we have to go for this now. Do you think there's pressure for young entrepreneurs now to have all the answers at the beginning? Because I think from what you're saying, it's like, you're basically there going, it feels right. I've got no fucking idea. I've got to go and speak to people for a week somewhere. I've got to figure this out. We're refitting stuff where it probably hasn't been done, which is why it's such a good idea. So like, we're going to follow it. Do you think that now, because of this encouragement of like overnight success and the pressures everyone faces through social media and the kind of all the, all the good moments, do you think there's too much pressure that you should have all the answers right at the beginning um, when you start a business? I do feel like, yeah, I do feel like that is the case. Although we were never afraid to ask anyone for anything. We one of the things I love is getting in there with people and introducing myself and learning. So f- right from the beginning, it was we never felt any pressure like that. It was I think because also we started before we'd met our or we just met our other halves uh, who are now our our wives. Um, we, there was no pressure in that sense. And there was no pressure really in the fact that we needed to know all the answers. It was, we were just enjoying the journey, I guess. When you say no pressure with your other halves, do you mean in terms of like, 
if you fucked it up, you didn't have a family and a mortgage to provide for. You were just young and having a go. Yeah, exactly. We were both living at home at the time and we were making tuna and pasta sweet corn every day at one of our houses and we were, we had hardly any expenses. So it was like, let's, you know, screw it. Let's just go for it. Um, and we went into a mainly kind of female dominated uh, industry, which we which we relished and we enjoyed it from day one, I guess. Uh, going to the baby shows from the beginning, everyone was so helpful. Um, just couldn't believe two guys with no kids had come up with this idea and started this business. So, but we were, we were just having a laugh. And the first, so the first iteration of the product was this personalizable baby shoe. At that time, were you very focused on that one product or you as the kind of ideas product guy? Were you thinking already ahead of, oh, we could do this with um dressing gowns and bibs and socks and other things or was it just like let's get this out the door straight away how far ahead were you in terms of your planning i was more ahead in the planning of like the marketing and how we were going to get to people i suppose less so in the product the product we we made an initial order and we we just both decided on um like high top trainers and booties blankets and i think a dressing gown but that was it and at that point, that got us to Danny Minogue, Elton John, and a bit more press, the Beckhams. And then at that point, we got a seed investor on board. And I think it was him that said, your first hire needs to be a buyer. So we then hired a buyer and that changed everything because they knew more about the product than we did and we could focus on building the brand together with them so was the the business presumably was direct consumer when you started was there was the influence of hiring a buyer um because you wanted to expand a distribution network into retailers um it was always i think our aim was always to stay online although we did we did uh launch later with the retailers but um we hired the buyer because we needed to grow the range. We needed to, I guess, understand what we were doing, negotiating with the factories and um, where we should get the fabrics from and how we incorporate personalization onto all the products. So someone with the expertise. And I think from day one, learning that you need to hire people that are better than you in their areas, that was like one of the main lessons. In terms of practical steps around setting up a business, there's so much more available now in terms of podcasts and uh, various seminars online and Google, etc. When you started, how did you find your information to know, register on Companies House, are we above or below VAT threshold? How do, what do we need for a business bank account? How do we, you know, where do we spend our first hires? How do we get to Danny Minogue? Where was that information coming from? Um, as you've just asked me, two things coming to my head, which is Google was one thing and there was a lot less resources then on, on Google. And I remember us being at the library. <laughs> we were at the library um, for where where Johnny was finished his university course um, in Hertfordshire. We were there probably every day for about three or four weeks. Um, I can't remember exactly why. I, th- I feel like we were working there, but we were also reading up on business and setting up a business. I know it sounds a bit stupid because Google was there, but we, we did a bit of both. In terms of Danny Minogue and getting to all the celebrities, I think it was just about uh, using my contacts, getting them with the right people and learning PR, really, and how to push the brand out there. 
when we hear about co-founder relationships and you sort of touched upon it a moment ago, we, my understanding is obviously you probably shouldn't be doing the same thing because then you're paying twice. You want two people who have different skill sets. And you mentioned that your sort of perhaps ideas, product development, business development, and and Johnny is sort of making it happen, which would suggest sort of ops and, and that side. What, what advice would you give to people who were either seeking a business partner because they didn't want to do it on, on their own or were entering into a co-founder relationship? Yeah, so a lot of people say you shouldn't work with your friends. I think the, the main thing I would say there is that it depends on the friendship. As you said, if you're, I mean, with us, we're whole opposites in a lot of ways, but the one thing we share um, in common is or... We do share things in common, but the main thing is our goal in life and where we want to get to. I would strongly consider if things got heated, if bad things happened and uh, really negative situations happened in the trenches, you're in business together. Like, could your could your current relationship cope with that? Otherwise, if there's a single bit of doubt in your mind. I would say do not enter that relationship. Also, if you're seeking a business partner and you don't know them at all, I would get to know them first before getting into business with them or at least use your gut, but think about the things that could go wrong before the things that could go right. Did you guys put in any structure around decision-making? Or I know some people have like, if one of us vetoes it, it's out. You know, we have to be unanimous. Like, do you have any systems and structures that are, or, or is it like you're the ops guy, I respect your your opinion? I think at, at the beginning, we weren't really sure. Um, we both tried to come up with, or well, we both tried to come up with every single decision together. Um, then a couple of years in, we kind of split the business a bit more into me looking at growth areas and the marketing and Johnny at the ops and the finance. And we started to respect each other a lot more in our own areas. So although we both had a strong opinion, we let the other one make the final decision in those areas well I guess also you get a bit more comfortable don't you because I think sometimes certainly in my own experience when you start a business you're kind of playing business a bit like you get your business cards you're telling everyone about this hypothesis it's not necessarily a reality yet you're also still like frantically trying to figure stuff out and as you become more experienced you feel a bit more comfortable in your own role so you probably have a, a elevated respect for the other person if they're sort of doing the same that you kind of settle down a bit I guess into those positions 100% yeah I think that's exactly what happened um what was really important was whilst we made decisions together or respected each other's view if ever we've had or one of us has had an issue with something or each other over the last 10 years we always make sure that the other one always makes sure that before we do anything, we resolve that issue. And how can we help? Like my co-founder's got an issue with that. It doesn't matter what I think. I need to resolve that and make sure they're all right before we move forward. And also one other thing, which is you've got to make sure that you are putting in 100% at all times and not begrudging the other one for taking an extra 20 minutes lunch break or whatever. It's about working smart, I guess, is the key. Yeah. You launched the business in 2011, so 10 years ago. Really, social media took off in the UK um, 2012. That's when sort of Twitter really started happening. That's when Instagram launched. How difficult has it been to maintain relevance with a business that has had to navigate through such a 
volatile change in social media. You know, you, the, the blogger space has evolved tremendously. Mommy bloggers weren't really a thing. You've also had multiple issues with the way that social media platforms change their algorithms, with the way that you use Facebook Marketplace, the addition of TikTok and Snapchat. How do you, as the kind of marketing side, navigate that and decide where we're going to show up, where we're going to spend our money and how you're actually going to continue to be relevant throughout a long period of time? So I think um, I've always thought that we needed to stay ahead of everything we do. I think that's the first thing. Second thing is the getting the brand out there. I guess PR for me is the is the thing that underpins um, the whole marketing strategy. I would go and meet anyone I could. I'd turn up to X Factor um, and give gift Danny Minogue, Heart Radio, gift Elson John, like uh, the Kardashians, Beckhams. We we got in. I got in with a lot of people pre-social media. Get getting in there with people of influence has always been my thing, I guess. So that when social became massive and you had these actual influences from the bloggers to um, just people on social media, Instagram, whatever, um, we made sure that the brand was relevant and we and we kind of uh, connected with them and found people that were relevant for us. Imagery, thank God, was it became huge with Instagram and that I think our products are very Instagrammable. Um, the name, seeing the name on the product and or the message. Um, I just think we managed to stay ahead and stay relevant and adapt whilst um, keeping our performance marketing up, whatever was thrown our way, whether it was penalties in the early days from SEO or Google changing their algorithms. Like we've we just made sure we've just constantly like learnt and adapted as opposed to being stubborn. Yeah. It's a good point about, you know, the visibility of the logo on your product. I think there's a lot of, um, companies that almost want to do the opposite of that because they want to try and be a bit more discreet and perhaps encourage people to post. But it's a really basic point about visibility, isn't it? It's like if someone's carrying a carrier bag that has your logo on it, it becomes it, the visibility piece is there because people know exactly where it's from. Like the Selfridges yellow bag is a fantastic example of that. But, you know, f- for you, I guess you're you've created assets that are visible, but also you've presumably targeted people who actually have a, a relevance and a need for the product. I think from a marketing perspective where it doesn't become directive, obviously, is when you're not providing a solution for the person that you're presenting it to. So I imagine pe- the people you're gifting either recently have kids or have siblings or friends who've who've had children, and then therefore it's actually benefiting them when you're handing it to them. Definitely. I think that is that's exactly what happens, and I think we've had two things on our side. One is our packaging from day one, which has been really important to us, um, has been really beautiful. It's been people have loved taking photos of it and uploading it. It feels very luxurious, um, so that was great. The product is another thing, of course, um, but the product with the personalization is key because all the recipients of the gifts or parents that have bought it for their own kids they also love posting on instagram because it we almost feel that we've given them the stamp of approval for choosing that name if that makes sense so we're seeing the name on a blanket posting it kind of yeah it gives them that sense of satisfaction it's the name they've discussed for so many months and that's their that's their child so it's all worked in tandem yeah and it's you know it's definitely a chic gift to be to be given you know it's like 
I guess, would you say that for brands launching now that it's impossible to not consider the capacity for user-generated content and the sort of Instagrammableness of a brand? Do you think if someone is starting a brand now that it's sort of they've got to consider about without making it too kind of woke and virtue signaling it's obviously got to be authentic but that that is really now just a prerequisite of having a a modern brand yeah i i think it's uh it's a must ugc is key uh having that strategy and getting like brand advocates throughout from the beginning is so important yeah have you made any major mistakes in the last 10 years that stand out for you is there anything you've got wrong with imagery or product or personnel or is there anything that stands out in terms of, I mean, maybe they all just roll into one, don't they, after 10 years? But, yeah, is there anything that you sort of thought, right, we've really fucked this up? We've made we've made loads of mistakes, and I think that's how um, we've we've learned and adapted. Um, the We've made mistakes with, I suppose, in the early days, we had some, we've had amazing staff from, from day one. Whether they're here or not, they were there for us on the journey. We probably got too familiar and close with certain people at the beginning, um and then when it when times got tough or difficult whatever that was then difficult to switch into work mode so that was a mistake and learning um hiring people without a job spec and working out what they were going to do when they started was another one maybe maybe hiring a management team too early but that and that's that's in terms of people in terms of mistakes launching into new things uh before we'd earned the right and before we've made current things a success whether that was launching abroad, whether it was launching into new categories that were nothing to do with what we were doing. Like, I think the key lesson was um, just focus on what we're doing, build an amazing business. When we run out of growth, we'll know that. Um, but for now, keep the blinkers on and focus. Otherwise, you'll have so many mediocre things that you do, it just and that's not what we wanted. Hmm. I want to talk to you about COVID. It's very difficult not to talk about running a business now without referencing it um obviously during a pandemic people don't stop having babies they probably stop having baby showers and they probably stop spending as much money on uh excess perhaps in terms of gifting what has the last 18 months been like for you interesting um the beginning of the pandemic was we like every business we were really scared we were worried, uh, are we a necessity product? Um, are we a nice to have? Where What's what's going to happen? And I think we realized within two or three weeks that this is a product that is not a nice to have. It's, uh, it's a must for whether it's parents buying for their own kids or um, majority gifting other kids. The fact that they couldn't see them in lockdown helped even more because they were buying more. So as gifts, um, people were spending more. So buying more frequent um and spending more money as well and uh whether that was grandparents or cousins uh friends and then parents buying for their own kids um increased massively as well as a mix but also as a pound amount so we we were really really fortunate that we used to have concessions in Selfridges and Harrods and we had pulled out um around that time so we were focusing all all our efforts on online and we just saw a big shift and increase in, in revenue. So we were, we were lucky. Um, we found it tough in terms of staff and people and working from home, motivating them. Um, 
but everyone was incredible so it helped the uh change what are your thoughts about working remotely do you think it's better to have people together or do you think the sort of flexible hybrid model is is the future i definitely think it's the future i'm more i buzz on i thrive on seeing people and being based with people but that doesn't mean it they can't be a hybrid I, i feel like at least once a week you need to see people and that day probably isn't going to be productive but it makes the other four days more productive and you've reset your relationships you've recharged things that you needed to like i feel like you definitely need a hybrid i don't think working from home the whole time without seeing people is the answer um but i I do think it's changed everything massively yeah and i think as a business owner you're so much of the team look to you to set the tone and I think that's really challenging to do and it's really repetitive because in many instances you have to have those conversations with multiple people individually whereas in an office not only can you probably read body language and energy a lot better you can also talk to people as a group more easily than kind of scheduling a whole sort of all hands meeting so I think yeah I agree with you I think it's um it seems to have been positive for a lot of people in terms of their their brain and their lifestyles and what they want to do. But absolutely, I think the the loneliness and the anxiety that people had in the last 18 months is from isolation. And that human interaction is really important for all, all sorts of different endorphins. 100%. I think um, tomorrow is my first my first physical meeting in about two, three weeks. And it's the longest I've probably left it. And um, I'm going to feel like I'm going on holiday. Like I'm absolutely buzzing for seeing people. It's not even an exciting meeting, but it's um, just getting out. So we saw lots of horror stories in the last 18 months about businesses. Lots of businesses didn't survive, sadly. Lots of businesses have had a really tough time. Whether or not businesses have thrived or not, there are still massive challenges that come with being busier, having remote teams, having to grow, having to re-strategize, having to digitalize, etc. So, you know, whether it's good or bad, it's still been really stressful. The UK had light at the end of the tunnel in the form of uh, April 12th, which was when uh, sort of official full lockdown was eased with obviously June, July being, being further ahead. People were... Um, sort of clambering to April, May, you guys were looking forward to a very exciting period of time, as you mentioned, very excited to get back to physical meetings, etc. In the early hours of Saturday, the 1st of May, you received a phone call at about 2am. Can you tell me who rang you and what that phone call was about? Yeah, so I I actually didn't see my phone until about six in the morning. But from about 2am I had about 60 missed calls uh, from Richard Parks who's our head of operations and he tried Johnny uh, and I and we we knew something was up immediately called the group chat call and he told us that our building which is our head our head office our distribution center where we hold all of our stock all of our machines photography studio offices everything was on fire and I'm, i think his words were it's gone it, he said it's gone it's gone and it's it was basically flat the building pretty much um because there was a huge fire in the night and we just we just couldn't believe it just didn't know what to do 
didn't think we just got ready both johnny and i live about five minutes from each other got in the car got to northampton and just every road was blocked off um because of this fire and got down there and we had to park a mile away and then um we saw the building on fire still on fire and we just i think on the way up johnny and i both said to each other whatever happens let's remain positive um we'll get through this and i think we haven't actually had one negative conversation that brought us down as much as us, you know, collapsing or anything like that, uh, thinking that the world was over um, since the fire happened. So it was just about remaining positive. We got up, we saw Richard, we, he was, he was, you know, distraught. Um, and we just had to then work out what we we're going to do. So since May the 1st, we have, you know, we, we haven't been able to trade. We've had no building. We've recently found a new building. Um, but it's been a tough few months, really tough. How did the fire start? We don't know 100% yet. Um, the the police have put articles out that there were 15 arson attacks in the area in, in the space of a week. But we're not 100%. Um, and we, to be honest, we've just focused on what like what we're going to do to get back as opposed to what actually happened because that would have taken so much of our time and worry and but that that's what we know um what we're focused on is now getting back to this big launch presumably from a practical perspective i mean it like kind of makes me it sort of makes my heart skip when you tell me that story because it it couldn't be any more of a symbolic sort of um personalization of like everything that you've built it's literally kind of getting rid of a building that occupies that business obviously it is you know thankfully no one was no individual was hurt other you know I'm sure lots of people are very distressed at kind of seeing it but there is a process that happens after something like that with insurance and all the practicalities of it have you found it um another challenge in you know a decade of running a business and overcoming things and have you and Johnny sort of taken that as we build back better we crack on you know there's 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 stuff in the future and um as you say not not really dwell on it or have there been you know were, were there tears were there sort of distressed evenings with partners and things like that um so firstly yeah it goes without saying the, ma- the main thing is that no one was in the building um the i think honestly we we there were no tears um well there were tears but there were it was like an emotional thing as opposed to worrying about the business i guess not once did we not once who did we think that anything bad was going to happen to the business and i think what i then tried to get everyone thinking is what can how can we come back as as strong as possible prove how strong the brand is how strong the team is um what like anything we've discussed debated doing in the past 10 years if it's good let's just do it i know you never know what's around the corner can't take anything for granted we've got one chance to kind of come back and that's how we've looked at it so there was a couple of months of feeling empty like i'd lost my right arm because there was no trading, nothing going on, no customers. Um, keeping in touch with customers was difficult, and it has been, but we've, we've done a good job, I think. Um, and now it's getting to the ex- more exciting phase of, of relaunch. I think 
I just remember the first night. So Johnny and I, with our wives, we hadn't made plans to see each other on a Saturday night in about two years. And we'd made plans to see each other on May the 1st. And we didn't cancel it. We we saw each other still. And uh, I just remember even then so positive about what, what we were going to, you know, how we were going to come back and uh, prove to the world that we can do anything. You know, it's really interesting because I think we hear a lot about conversations around anxiety and stress and the impact particularly of social media in terms of whether it sort of enhances or alleviates that obviously many people find that a platform through which they can connect and share but equally it can be quite performative and quite damaging and there are um there are times and places to be open and honest about um you know mental health but I do think that if nothing else, the last year has demonstrated for many people how resilient human beings can be and how, um, in spite of and in the face of very difficult challenges, uh, you know, coming together as a team and having a positive mindset, even when the odds are slightly stacked against you, it, it is possible and it is doable. And I think you're a great example of that. And no doubt your team have very much appreciated you being in you know at the front and leading them because it, it could have been very indulgent and very distressing and um and kind of gone the other way yeah thank you yeah I think it's um that is the key to be social media is amazing on one hand it's dangerous on the other as we know um I think our how Johnny and I have always thought about things is um we visioned ourselves down the line so I've always been kind of at the end, I, I've always been in my head where I want to be and every day is like trying to catch up. Real me is trying to catch up with me in my head. And I think as soon as this fire happened, it was the same thing. In my head, we'd launched again and it was just a huge success. We'd gone global, even bigger than we are. And um, I think I've tried to get the whole team feeling that and hopefully our passion is oozed out of us and and no one's worried as a result. No, it's a good, it's a good lesson. I used to, um, it makes me think of, I used to play tennis and the advice always is you don't look at the ball, you look at where you want it to go. And it's true. It's like, you, you can't be too sort of focused on exactly what's in front of you. You've got to look at where you want to place it. So I guess, you know, it's very much what you're doing. Um, I am going to ask you in a minute about what's coming up next for the brand. Cause I know there's loads of really exciting stuff happening, but I do just first want to talk to you a little bit about money. So in many entrepreneurs' journeys, there are fundraisers, they need capital to start that might be in the form and shape of some savings they have. It might be, you know, a whip round with family and friends. It might be a crowdfund, etc. You raised a seed of a million and then you've done two additional rounds of five million, so a total of 11. The business is profitable and growing and very exciting and because it's d2c you've owned a lot of that data and you've created a very robust business can you tell me a bit more about how and well, when you realized you needed the money and what the process was of going about finding people to give it to you sure so johnny and i used um we put in savings whatever we had when we started the business we then we then got um my cousin and their very good friend on board right at the beginning because we needed we probably needed about a hundred grand to um, make the website and order the product. Um, then we built the business um, to a point where we actually couldn't afford any staff, so we hired an intern 
the intern was lovely and she said that her great uncle wanted to meet us. We met him and he was our first kind of big cornerstone investor. Um, amazing guy in retail and um, has been like our guardian angel. And from from that, he introduced us to some kind of high net worth through his network. Um, that was the total million. So it was done in, in stages. And then... And then we had Prince George wearing our dressing gown when he met Obama. We can't gloss past that. That is such an absurd drop. How did that happen? Was that requested? Or I know there's obviously, um, it's, it's, it's sort of harder with accessibility with, with um, members of the royal family. But was that an exciting email to come in? Or what, how did that happen? We'd sent bits, but also um, there was two or three orders um, from people through our business. Um, to them, to the royal family. And uh, we didn't know. I think one evening, yeah, one evening I received, on oh no, it was in my first year's team group. I had about 165 messages. And I just obviously knew something was up in a good way at that time. It was on the Daily Mail, basically. And we were mentioned and it was incredible. And then we had about 2,000 articles written within 48 hours um, from that. So that was amazing. Took the growth to the next level. Um, attracted investors. We got investment at the end of that year, the end of 2016. Of we were going to do um, a round of 10 million. We did a round of five, and then they followed on another five um, in 2018. But in terms of finding um, the, so in terms of finding who the right people, I guess the private uh, investors were. It was just gut feel, and we yeah, that gut feel really worked well. Um, the funds, two funds that invested in us, have been brilliant. Uh, really supportive but obviously we didn't know they were going to be from the start i'll go back to my comment i made earlier which is um finding a a partner in this case an investor who in bad times when things don't go to plan you can trust to be there for you the same way you can if things were going well a lot of a lot of these investors are are there in the good times and not in the bad but our our investors have, have been there throughout so i think that's that's really kind of what we thought and we, we just set out and found the right people. It's also good advice, I think, if people are looking to invest, because I think the, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of money out there and there's a lot of choice. And I think sometimes it feels quite scary if you're not connected to that sector, if you're, if you're a business looking for an angel or VC and you don't really know the terminology and it's all quite confusing. But the one thing that's consistent that people talk about is relationship with the investor and sort of understanding and belief in the product and the team and the hypotheses. And you mentioned a moment ago that this the the 10 million was cut into two fives and that the initial investors for the five million followed their money, which for anyone listening who isn't familiar with the terminology, that essentially means they made an investment, you proved some numbers and then they gave you more money because they wanted to literally follow their money with another round so I think it's good advice for people who are looking to invest as well even at small stage is the sort of relationship and interest in the business many brands have a choice I think that's something that certainly small businesses have fed back to me that was unclear to them in the early stages is that you don't have to take anyone's money it is a negotiation and therefore you can say no if it's not the right deal. Yeah. Someone told me as well at the beginning that um, if you've got a good product or a good service, that there'll be the, the money will be there. And um, I think that is so true. And I, I think, I guess, you can look at it. People can get um, be a bit in awe of people that have money, I guess. Uh, 
And a lot of people do it for the vanity of posting it on LinkedIn or wherever saying we've just raised money. Raising money is just the start. Whereas a lot of people think you, you're made. Uh, the, the thing for me is I always felt like, as you said, I always felt, well, you're giving your money, but we're giving our shares. So it's a trade. It's not just we're taking your money and, oh my God, you're the best, you know, the best thing since last break. We, there was, a, it always has to be a mutual respect. And I suppose anyone putting money into our business, we had to make sure that they weren't just putting money in. They had, they had to really, uh, be passionate about what we were doing and understand the journey we were on. Yeah, and I guess, you know, certain investors have distribution network links or they have interesting uh, access to potential board members or C-suite teams or, you know, there is additional value for them to add in, a, you know, as well as just their, their money. When you raised that money, were you very clear about exactly how you wanted to deploy it? you know in your process did you have to like meticulously work out this is what the money's for or or can you you know obviously there would be more detail than this but was it sort of for growth was that the reason for the raise Mm, yeah I mean the the high net worth those rounds were always survival cash then the I suppose equivalent to our series a the first five million was we had a plan I don't think we went to plan, to be honest. Like, I mean, we we spent the money as we said we would, but things didn't work out, so we had to kind of move that money elsewhere. Um, second, and then the next the next round, the next five, uh, I think we'd learned a lot more about what had gone wrong in the previous like previous investments and stuff that we had made as a business. So we were far better. But just being honest, we Johnny and I have been we've been really good from day one in terms of knowing what we want and hustling but it was probably not until the seventh or eighth year that we actually became very good as businessmen i think a lot of the first few years were learning whether that was with investment whether it was with people product so you're not going to get it right all right from day one but just yeah plan as much as you can really yeah no it's definitely good advice what are the most valuable investments that you've made in growing your business hiring design so design i suppose going choosing to go design focused as a business um and not just buying products and putting a name on it so what i mean is having a design team that we everything is now is unique to my first years it's all our own look and feel so we don't need to we're not like kind of competing with every single competitor for a basic product anymore it's choosing to go that way it became I think we became a proper brand. We hear a lot about the pressures of being sustainable. We see businesses talking about being carbon neutral or or carbon negative. We are constantly bombarded with the best eco brands, um, how we can upgrade our homes, etc. Obviously, your packaging is a really critical part of your business. Do you feel like it's been hard to retroactively fit sustainability into a business when it just wasn't as relevant 10 years ago or it definitely wasn't as loud in terms of people's expectation and how have you kind of integrated that into your business as you've as you've continued to grow we introduced an eco-friendly box and that was really important we do always researching with customers what they want to see and how far we should take it as a brand we we want to be eco-friendly with the 
cotton we use, with the embroidery thread we use, working out whether that means B Corp or whether that's too far for us at the moment. I think I feel like we will get there, but everything is um, it's just progress that we've got to take. We've certainly, when hiring, we're certainly asking the right questions to get the right people on board thinking about how we can be more sustainable moving forwards. What's the best piece of advice that you've ever been given about building a business? And who who is it from? I feel like one thing I learned, well, I learned a lot, but to my dad who died when I was 13. So, but in those first 13 years, 12 and a half, yeah, 13 years, I really saw he, he had proper entrepreneurial flair and got knocked back so many times, but that didn't stop him. And I know, obviously, if he had another 20 years or whatever, he would have been a real success. But for me, not giving up, not taking no as an answer, not giving up have been the the two things that have got me through and still get me through and probably annoyingly to a lot of people around me who can't understand why I'm saying we can do this or we can get through this situation. It's got me through every single situation whether that's not being able to make payroll, whether it's running out of money and not knowing where to get it from or the fire happening or COVID, like any situation. And and that is the number one thing. Do not give up. Like there is always a way to sort something out, even if everyone is saying no. As mad as that sounds. That's like the, the thing for me. Yeah, I mean, it's a really poignant and important point about the idea of not accepting no. And I think there is some criticism of particularly sort of Gen Z and millennial workforce about needing a bit more resilience training. And I think that the advice you're giving is relevant in all aspects of life, including obviously work and entrepreneurialism, because the list of things, you know, you talk about COVID and the fire and that, you know, like life is difficult and it does throw challenges at people. Do you ever take time to enjoy your successes or is it always just a relentless pursuit of on to the next thing yeah I mean try and take try and take a bit of time but I think it's key for us when I say us Johnny and I we're constantly thinking about where we can get it to next now we've got to I think there's a fine line you've got to be satisfied with where you've got to and we do we often have a look back at where we've come you know where we've come from how far the business has come but I felt like we need to probably enjoy it a little bit more um, because we we have gone through a lot of hurdles, obstacles, which all are exciting, uh, hopefully future chapters of our book. But you've got to enjoy it along the way. I think that's the key. And we probably don't do that enough, as I'm sure a lot of people probably don't. Are you different in your personal life? I know some people in business are kind of uh, aggressively committed to to that goal but perhaps in their personal life are better at being slower and enjoying time and not necessarily always thrashing themselves in a physical challenge and all these other things are you do you have a kind of work persona and personal persona or are you pretty consistent across the two unfortunately quite consistent um and again need to be enjoying the moment a bit more in the moment being in the room a bit more when you're in the room and I think as opposed to always thinking, right, what's next, what's next? Because, but the two go hand in hand for me. The business growing and succeeding is hopefully helping personal anyway. So it's, yeah, I think I'm consistent with that, but just generally need to try and unwind a bit more than I do. Mm. How do you keep learning? How do you continue to learn? Do you listen to podcasts, read books, talk to people? Yeah, I listen listen to podcasts every day. Um, I... It's been harder the last 12 to 18 months, but I always try and 
network with people or introduce myself to people reading books audio books though mainly for me to be honest surrounding surrounding yourself with people that you're going to learn things from is is again the key how do you define success seeing something that was in my head grow into a bit into a bigger business into a brand but i think seeing customers that are really like happy and delighted with a business that we are building and growing but well, the reason why I started the business and I guess consistently what is my biggest motivator is to provide for my family and uh, to be able to look after people and give back. Productivity can be challenging in an environment where we're all expected and encouraged to be busy all the time. You're a parent and you're running a business and etc. If you had one extra hour in the day, what would you use it for? Depends on the day. I'd like to think it was spending time with my son and my wife. Well, I know it's probably listen to another podcast or try and think um, about the next big growth idea or whatever. It's been a ridiculous 18 months and, you know, very difficult past few months specifically for you. What's next for the business? What can we expect to see in the next sort of six to 12 months? It's been a really interesting journey. I think it sounds, it's proper cliche coming back bigger, stronger, but we are coming back big time. We are... Any, I'd say any competitors that have used this as a time to kind of uh, enjoy while we've been out of action, I hope people have got business from this, but we are coming back. We will get our place back with our customers. Um, we hope everyone will stay loyal. We've had so many amazing messages from people that can't wait to order again. I think we will speed things up massively over the next 10 years and try and turn this into a global household name that we, we that we think we deserve to be i have absolutely no doubt that you'll do that i've absolutely no doubt that your competitors will be thinking very seriously about how their numbers are gonna not reflect what they want the moment that you guys are trading again i know you're busy i really really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me i think a lot of people are gonna find you sharing your story really inspiring and really interesting it's a an amazing entrepreneurial journey and there are many many things that you've said that will be incredibly helpful sort of practically as well as emotionally for people so thank you for your honesty and um i wish you all the best with with the next few months thank you so much yeah it's been a pleasure good chatting to you i'd be listening to a podcast uh, otherwise so this has been brilliant thank you